Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank squad and welcome to the Ranks FC podcast. It's your favourite podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And joining me is the rank of Mr. Sam Ty. How you doing, mate? Mate, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Just the two of us. Dean's off gallivanting around the world. Um, but we have we have asked in a replacement. We've asked in someone to step up to the plate. And so a little bit later on, we're going to be joined by Mark Carey of the Athletic and the Football Fanalytics podcast. He's going to be talking us through five players who have maybe flown a little bit under the radar this season, but whose numbers are exceptional. Mark is a data analyst. He does some brilliant stuff in the kind of data space and really excited to see who he brings into this list and and talk about some players who maybe haven't got the love they deserve this season, Sam. Mm, absolutely yeah no better person to uh, to turn to there or <laughs> no better person that we know to turn to than Mark Carey who we know already we've played five aside with him a couple of times um, I've been on the Finalytics podcast it's a great experience and he listens to rank so it's a perfect combination by the way listeners we're not just picking guests that listen to ranks because obviously Aaron last week um, <laughs> just just as a heads up we don't just it's not it's not that that level of favouritism it's just everyone in the football community so unfortunately you know you have, oh, to, yeah. you have to run with it yeah that, those are things <laughs> right before we get ahead of ourselves let's do things we love okay I'll start and uh, it's feels like old news to be honest with you but I do feel like we just need to spend a couple of minutes on that World Cup draw that happened a long long time ago it was last Friday Jack so I think a lot of people may have been expecting this podcast to be about the World Cup draw, but five days old or something like that. Let's just spend a couple of minutes looking at the genuine best bits. And for me, there were two groups in particular that really stood out. I love the look of Group A and I love the look of Group F. And the reason for that is these two groups feel extremely World Cup. And what I mean by that is they're extremely cross-continental. The best thing about the World Cup is you bring different teams together into scenarios where they're playing against each other and they haven't played each other for 12, 15, 25 years. Maybe they've never, ever met because they're not in the same continents. They're not in the same conferences. They won't meet each other in qualifying for the World Cup and they won't meet each other in the Nations League and all that stuff. So Group A is Qatar and Ecuador and Senegal and the Netherlands. That's four continents, man. That's it. Yep. That's, that's World Cup bingo. It's absolutely awesome. I don't know what to expect from that group. Like, how do I size up Ecuador and Senegal? And how do I size up Senegal versus the Netherlands? There's so many unknowns there. And that's why the World Cup is so special. And you look at Group F, this is where Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia landed. Three continents rather than four, Belgium and Croatia, obviously from Europe. But it's very eclectic. It's very fun. It's very unpredictable. And there's a weird mix of styles in this group that I'm really excited to see play out. So for me, what I look for in a World Cup draw is not a group of death. Yes, I like to see Spain versus Germany as an early barometer, but the real joy and the real fun is when you get this eclectic mix of teams that you would never see come together ever before. And that's what Group A and Group F have given us. Yeah, and Group H, I would probably throw into this mix, Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay and South Korea. So here's the problem with that. 
Portugal and you've Uruguay. You've seen them all play. Yeah, you've no, seen them all I play mean, each other before. No, but Portugal, Uruguay, you know, when they get to a tournament, they revert, They get so boring, don't they? They revert to type and they become very boring. Maybe Uruguay under their new manager uh, can prove that uh, uh, an outdated... It's also full of narrative, that group, because obviously Uruguay knocked Portugal out of the last World yep. Cup. And obviously Ghana and Uruguay have that famous World Cup history with the handball on the line and, and the penalty shootout and all the chaos that ensued after that. So there's plenty there. And South Korea are... World Cup staples at this point. Yes. And they are, you know, I think the fourth. Uh, they've got the fourth most consecutive World Cups um, in, in the world. So that's just pretty remarkable, yep. to be perfectly honest with you, in, in, in terms of how, how regularly they qualify. Um, and it's a very interesting team. I'm excited about Group H. I'm excited about Group G as well. Group G for me is the Blood and Thunder group. Um, you know, Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, Cameroon. I'm looking at that going, I don't know. I, I think Brazil will win it. And then apart from that, it's a free for all. Like yeah, any yeah, any yeah. of the other three could get through that group. Um, and it makes it very exciting. And there's also that Serbia, Switzerland, uh, a little bit of, you know, niggle from the last World Cup as well. So um, yeah. lots to look forward to in those two groups as well. They're the ones that jumped out for me. So It was a good draw, wasn't it? Good draw. Very pleased with it. Very well balanced. No group of death. It just feels like, you know, eight very well-balanced groups and I'm yeah. excited about it. Closest closest to group of death would, would be, e, where, where, be where Japan landed, right? That, yeah. that, that makes it... But it's not... It's not a traditional group of death. It is it also, very well because it will Because the fourth team will be either New Zealand or Costa Rica. Yeah. Um, it does feel like there's an obvious fourth seed in it. Yes. Um, and, and I think that that could be interesting. But yeah, there's, there's lots to look forward to here. I mean, it's a World Cup. There's always lots to look forward to. But mm. there are, there's, I, I think this is going to be fun. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm excited about it. So, so, so all good in that regard. Um, right. I'll take you on to my thing I love, um, which I'm going to go back to a previous topic that I've talked about before. But... I think from being unbelievable, the, the Serie A title race got even better oh, this God. weekend. It got <laughs> even better. It, it, it's, it's impossible to overstate how brilliant this is. Right. So this weekend we saw Inter beat Juventus, which probably takes Juve out of the title race. But what it does is it secures this as a three horse race. So Inter currently played 30, 63 points. Napoli, who beat Atalanta in a massive game, 31, 66 points. Milan drew with Bologna, nil-nil at San Siro, 31, 67 points. Inter have their game in hand. It's actually against Bologna. It's away uh, at Bologna, at the Dallara. Um, and that if they win that game, we'll have three teams within a point of each other with seven games to go. Um, this is unbelievable Sam this is as exciting as it gets and look a huge huge weekend for Napoli they played Atalanta that is a very very tricky place to go it's very very hard to go to Bergamo and win um yes Atalanta are a bit besieged by injuries yes they're not quite the four force as they were perhaps last year or the season before but that's still an incredibly tricky tie now the next two games Napoli have um they have Fiorentina at home and then they go to AS Roma who are 10 unbeaten in the league and I've jumped up to fifth. They're just five points behind Juventus. They'll have one eye on that fourth spot, I think. Uh, and imagine how much joy it would bring Jose Mourinho to pip Juventus into mm. fourth. Um, I still think it's a long shot, but uh, in the form that they're currently playing in, you definitely wouldn't rule it out. Um, if Napoli come through those two games with six points, I think they're favourites. I think they're favourites to win the Scudetto. Now, obviously, it's in Milan's hands. If they win all seven games left they will win the, the title. They will win the league. But 
I just don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately. Um, unfortunately, from a Milan perspective, at the very least, they have some tricky, tricky fixtures. Their ending of the season is a bit of a bloodbath. They have Lazio, followed by Fiorentina, followed by Verona, followed by Atalanta, followed by Sassuolo. They are five Ooh, incredibly yeah. difficult games. Um, and in the middle of all of that, they have the second leg of the Coppa Italia semi-final against Inter. And then, obviously, the final of that competition will, will fall somewhere if they were to qualify. So, loads going on here. Um, yeah, but it just it just gets better and better and more dramatic and more dramatic as we edge towards the end of it. And I'm I'm just so sold on all of this. I'm just so completely and utterly obsessed with what's going down in Serie A at the moment that I can't really think about much else. And last <laughs> night, I know a lot of people were watching Arsenal Crystal Palace, and there was a lot of talk about Arsenal Crystal Palace. And of course, I had it on a screen. But I was very much head in. Well, first I watched Verona against Genoa and then I watched Milan against Bologna. Um, and, and it just feels like everything is gearing towards the end of this title race and it makes it so exciting. Yeah, it looks good. It looks good. I mean, I, I couldn't escape the irony at the weekend of Juventus finally turning up and playing really well. And that's the time they actually lost because they'd been on a ridiculous unbeaten run, particularly at home in the league. I think it was since the end of November, they hadn't lost a game. Rarely had they played well, even remotely well during that stretch, but they ground out victories here and there. Managed to get themselves back into this, back into into contention, maybe, you know, touching distance. What if you beat Inter? Well, if they'd have beaten Inter on Sunday night, they would have gone above them. Yes, the game at hand is still there, but they would have gone above them. Unequivocally, they would have been in the title race. And the one time they played well, they lost. Absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Football is so, so strange sometimes. And look, Milan drawing to Bologna doesn't surprise me at all. We've already seen uh, this season several patches of games where Milan have, have failed to have failed to beat teams that they, you know, they should. They should. Um, they've won three of their last six, having come out of a little patch where they drew with Udinese and they drew with Salernitana. Yes, they won three in a row after that, but now they've drawn to Bologna. You don't win titles by drawing to Udinese, Bologna and Salernitana. That is not good enough. Not when Napoli are showing the balls they've got uh, at Atalanta and not with Inter possibly bucking up and finding some uh, some resistance and some metal again. So very interesting. Very interesting. And Roma, five points off Juve. Mate, it's possible. It's very possible. It's very possible. It's just, there's lots going on. I'm very excited. I, I want to trust Napoli. I really do. Um, but their propensity for heartbreak yeah. does does have a, <laughs> a, a a bearing on that. But it's um, it's going to be absolutely unbelievably exciting whatever goes down at the end of this Serie A title race. Uh, right, and with that, we're going to move into our main ranking. And after the break, we'll be back and joined by Mr. Mark Carey. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast, where I'm delighted to say we are joined by a very special guest and someone I've been very excited about having on this pod for a long time. It's Mark Carey, data analyst at The Athletic and co-host of the Fanalytics podcast. Mark, thank you, one, for coming on, and two, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me on. Honestly, real real pleasure. It feels like a sort of long-time listener first time caller on on this podcast so uh, thank you for having me on it's a pleasure no, absolutely really excited and uh, we're going to be digging into the numbers a little bit doing into what you do best um, so Sam's going to set up this ranking and, and away we'll go yeah so we wanted to get Mark on uh, wanted to pick up a couple of guests while Dean was away and a couple of our patrons actually specifically requested Mark to come on they said if you can maybe oh. you could get Mark on because they enjoy your work uh, over on the Zonal Marketing pod as well so um, 
pleasure to have you on as well, mate. Um, I asked Mark to dig through the numbers and pick out five players that were particularly interesting from at least one data point. Uh, players who were excelling or overperforming in certain areas that were perhaps performing better than we imagined, or maybe we weren't giving enough credit and the data would prove us wrong. So Mark has come up with a little list and we can go through it. Yeah, well, we had a we had a long list, which I know is true to form for, for you, Sam, <laughs> and then we've, we've chopped it down. So I'm going to probably mention my honourable mentions at the end. Yeah. Um, but if you're happy, I can just go through it yeah, in order. One, yeah, From start at number five. Starting with five. So um, first one is Robin Lenormand at Real Sociedad. Now, he's a French centre-back. I know that France have many, many, many <laughs> centre-backs. <laughs> they do. Um, centre-back options operating at such a high level. I mean, you've got, you've got Varane, you've got Kunde, you've got Lucas Hernandez, Kimpembe, Upamecano, Konate, and there's probably some that I've forgotten as well. Yeah, there's about 20 um, more, but that's just that's just part of the course of France. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, that's just the ones on the top of my head. But um, yeah, Norman, he's, he's sort of nowhere near the, the French setup at the moment, but we can sort of come on to, to that. But um, a little less well-known widely, but but hugely important to, to his club. Um, left-sided centre-back for Real Sociedad. And the sort of the data side of this is that at the time of recording, only, he is only one of three outfield players across Europe's top five European, across, yeah, sorry, Europe's top five leagues um, to play every single league minute this season. And I don't know whether it's just putting you guys on the spot. I don't know if you can name any of the other two. Oh, no way. No, uh, <laughs> no chance. Um, this, but I, I have so much appreciation for players like this, uh, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the relative iron men of football. And James Ward-Prowse exactly. was this for like two years and yeah. everyone kept going on about it. And then he got suspended. So we missed one. So is that, that the reason? That, that was a bit. Yeah, he missed. A, he got he got sent off against Chelsea. So he he has like missed like one game in the last three years. But it was a suspension rather than an injury. But no, I don't know who the other two are. I mean, well, the one absolutely defies his age and logic is Jose Font at thirty eight years old, wow. which is, is just ludicrous. Um, and Christian Gunter, um, who. Gunther. At 29, maybe not quite as impressive. But yeah, Lenormand, I think as much as anything, it's not necessarily his kind of, well, it clearly is his performances because he's being selected every every week. But um, it's not that he's necessarily done anything kind of outrageously good or strong. But I think he's sort of a representation of Real Sociedad's kind of climb in recent years. He only made his, his debut for Sociedad in the first team in 2018. Um and since then, Sociedad have kind of been in and around the the top six, really, haven't yeah. they? They've been in, obviously, Europa League for the, for the past couple of seasons. Um, they were knocked out by Man United, I think, last season and recently RB Leipzig this season, wasn't it? But they've just got a, a really strong uh, team now. I think he sort of represents that kind of consistency throughout. I mean, obviously, Alexander Isak, Mikel Oyarza, Bell, Mikel Moreno, obviously Rafinha now um, on loan, isn't he? Yeah. Um, as of this season. So they're just, I think they're a really strong side who have kind of done well and stayed consistently in and amongst those spots where they were sort of hovering around um, mid-table sort of prior to that. I just think he is a good representation of um, of that that climb from from Sociedad and he's clearly been a, a thread throughout. And uh, I sort of, a bit of an idea of his profile. He, he likes to keep it simple, basically. His passing is often very simple, um, rarely gives it away, does his sort of, 
as the phrase goes, he enjoys the art of defending. He's a good one-on-one defender, absolutely loves a header. Um, so he is sort of meat and potatoes as a, as a defender. So it's not necessarily that he is kind of graceful on the ball, but he's just, I think, that representation of Sociedad's uh, consistency and climb in recent years. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because of, of the up to the last sort of three, four years, you would have said that Athletic were the dominant club in the region, definitely the dominant side in that derby. Um, but of late, it has sort of flipped. And there's something quite well, something quite remarkable about that, given the size of the two clubs relative to each other, the fact that historically, and especially from, you know, a, a region that prides itself on bringing through its own players and you have kind of athletic as the kind of wider Basque community and obviously only the Basque community. And Rassos, you know, have this kind of Kiputhkwan flavor through the side and very, very sort of hyper-local uh, in, in some ways. But that stretch out and the expansion into players from a little bit further away. I mean, he, I think if I'm not mistaken, Lenormand's born in Brittany. So it's hardly too far of a stretch mm-hmm. uh, for the club to be reaching across. But but ultimately that kind of stretch into it has given them the opportunity to climb up, as you say, and, and rise up the table. And I think it's a really interesting one because, you know, one, being an ever-present is, is a remarkable thing at the best of times. But two, being a, you know, a, an ever-present in a side that has been defensively very, very solid, who have been able to solidify themselves in this top six, or at least in the top seven conversation, is something to be kind of, well, I think very much appreciated and, and, and applauded. And I'd imagine that there will be, especially for a left-sided centre-back, eyes on him from clubs looking a little bit down, going, well, we could probably do with a player of that consistency. Mm. Um, and, and just who might just slot into our rotation a little bit better. Yeah, he's 25 years of age coming into the prime. As you say, Mark, he kind of does the basics very well. And consistency is the name of the game at centre-back. Managers don't like to change their back line for obvious reasons. Communication is key from the back line and through to the goalkeeper. And having a player who plays every single week is very valuable. Mark, I know you're a Liverpool fan and ultimately mm. it's... Um, it's Virgil van Dijk is never removed from the lineup, not just because he's he's the best defender in the world, but even when there would possibly be an opportunity to rest him, I've noticed a couple of times, eh, you could probably get away without playing him there. They don't drop him because no one likes to drop defenders. No one likes to drop centre-backs. It doesn't surprise me at all that Jose Font is one of the other two because same scenario, leader at the back, yeah. building block piece, continuity, consistency. Max Kilman had this until about Christmas, if I'm not mistaken, at Wolves, which is a little bit different in that he's obviously a youngster coming through. But again, part of that centre-back puzzle and and the fact that you know Wolves were so good defensively had so much to do with that consistency at the back. So mm. very much an interesting one to keep an eye on. I think it's um, well, one that I'd imagine moves will be touted this summer. Whether he goes or not, I don't think he needs to go anywhere. <laughs> he might have just be at the exact right level, but yeah. um, definitely one that I'd imagine there will be links made to. Yeah. True. And I'd like to see whether he actually does keep that up for the whole season. It would be remarkable if he was still at 100% every single minute played come the end of the season. But I do agree with everything that you guys said. And as the old saying goes, the best ability is availability. Mm. And he has definitely got that because he's played every single game. Shall I move Move on on to to number four? Smooth transition there. So um, we're going to move on to a player from the Premier League. Um, and you mentioned Max Kilman. We're going to stay within Wolves, uh, and it's going to be Jose Sarr, who it's not necessarily that he's he's underrated at all. He's obviously it's been a lot has been made about how well he's he's done, but I think it's just worth kind of yeah showing the numbers and just digging into just how well he has done. Um, having a fantastic season at, at Wolves, obviously Rui Patricio left in the summer. Obviously now he's at Roma and. 
he was an important figure for them, you know, and with a bit of change as well, obviously, Nuno Espirito Santo leaving, Bruno Lage coming in, there was a bit of people wondering how Wolves were, were going to do. And with, with a new goalkeeper as well coming into the Premier League, sometimes, historically, some goalkeepers have kind of struggled. You think of kind of David De Gea, I know that he was obviously a lot long, a lot younger coming in. Jose Sarr is, is 29. But sometimes the physicality of the Premier League as a goalkeeper, you, you sometimes wonder about them. But he's, he's been absolutely fantastic for Wolves, having one of the best shot-stopping performances of any Premier League goalkeeper this season, but also from any goalkeeper across Europe. Um, and the numbers kind of back that up. So... Essentially, no goalkeeper has prevented more goals in Europe than Jose Sarr when looking at the data. So we're using StatsBomb data via uh, fbref.com, so commonly used uh, data website. And it, it includes penalties here, it must be said, in the numbers that I'm going to give. But essentially, based on the quality of shots that he's faced on target, you'd expect him to have conceded 36.7 goals, so nearly 37 goals. Um, and he's actually conceded 27 goals and one of those was an own goal so we can call it let's say 26 non the harshest goal own goal of all time by the way it is definitely <laughs> yeah. not an own goal it got put down as as his own goal i remember watching it being like well i'm not sure was it the was that. it the arsenal one was it the, the one lacazette? arsenal one the lacazette goal. Yeah. ridiculous ridiculous <laughs> as ridiculous as when they gave Aubameyang his hat trick <laughs> so that's why yeah this is why this, it's important to have those sorts of caveats as well so i've, I've called it 26 non-own goal goals <laughs> Okay. Um, if you can do that. So <laughs> that difference between between how many he's expected to concede and he's actually conceded is 10.7, um, what we say sort of on site at The Athletic as well, goals prevented. So yep. yeah, how many you'd expect versus how many he's actually done. And that's the even accounting for the, the volume of shots that he's faced compared to other goalkeepers. That um, That is one of the best. That is the best um, across, the, across the whole of Europe. So it shows just how strong he's he's been from a shot stopping perspective and much like forwards there's often kind of inconsistency ups and downs purple patches and stuff in terms of goalkeeper's performance but this season you know especially he's been so so strong from a shot stopping perspective he's also very good at coming for crosses as well really strong in that regard and, and he's really good one on one as well like i think he's good at everything yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. a bit of an all-round. Like everything, like his one v one prowess and his um the size of him when he spreads himself out and his timing on yeah. his one v ones has has it's probably been the most impressive aspect for me when watching him. I've really been yeah. really taken aback by Jose Sarr at twenty nine coming into the Premier League yeah. or what would have been twenty eight at the time, and just absolutely rocking the show because I do remember him playing for the Portugal unders when he was at Porto. And he he kind of got a little bit of a go at Porto and then they didn't really take to him. Um, I think he may have clashed with uh, with maybe it was Ica Casillas. Um, he did, yeah. Um, and it, it's just a bit tough um, to obviously win that spot. And he went out and found his own way. But I know that goalkeepers mature later, so we're talking relative in terms of ages. But age 28, two seasons at Olympiacos. Hmm. I mean, not trying to be too dismissive, but the last player I thought would come in and just be like basically the best goalkeeper in the Premier League. This was a gamble, right? I think that's the kind of key element. You mentioned all of these things, Sam, and, you know, up to, well, even including his time at Olympiacos, the most appearances he made for anyone was Maritimo's B-side, right? Where he made 74 appearances. He made 16 for the senior side, moved to the Porto B-side, um, and then basically was behind Ika Casillas. He's made basically less than sort of 20 league appearances for almost everyone he's been at until he went to Olympiacos, where he sort of had two years, as you say, 
as the kind of front man. He was good at Olympiacos, but mm. that, you know, travel and, and that ability and, and, and the way that you kind of judge leagues and, and who they're playing against is, is tricky, right? And mm. now he obviously had some good, good kind of scenes in the, in the Champions League as well at that, at that time. And, you know, it, his clean sheet record, I think, at Olympiacos, I think is still the Greek record, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. But you look at this and you go, right, that is a huge gamble to lose someone, not only of Jorge Patricio's ability, but also of his leadership quality, the fact that he's mm-hmm. Portugal. You've basically switched Portugal's number one for Portugal's number four. Mm-hmm. That's the like the actual switch that, mm-hmm. that Wolves made. But you look at it and what has actually come to fruition and look, Jorge Patricio's having a grand season at Roma, but not unbelievable. And you look at this kind of transition, that's a gamble that has fully paid off. Absolutely. I wonder whether, because he's obviously doing so well, whether or not there will be a move for him even within the Premier League or to, to maybe a Champions League club. And I don't know whether, again, maybe you'd need a little bit longer. I know that he's he's not exactly a, a young prospect, but maybe you need a little bit longer of him in the Premier League to see whether he could maybe make a leap again. But yeah, I agree with everything you just said. And I think that, so Wolves have had a lot of attritional games shall we say or tight yeah. games this season there hasn't been too many goals at, at either end but um, yeah they, they definitely have him to to thank for a lot of their their clean sheets this season as well and as I say it's shown up in the in the numbers not necessarily in the hidden numbers maybe of clean sheets but definitely from a shot stopping perspective in terms of those expected goals Just looking at this um, this career record Jack as you pointed out that he'd made the most appearances for Maritimo B out of anybody he really hasn't played that much football for a 29 year old yeah. has he I yeah. mean I mean yes he's over 200 appearances but overall he's uh he's that's one what, he's, that's what 10 years nine years yeah he's one of those like, he's that's one not of, that many appearances it's just not that many and he's one of those players Mark I, I, we always talk about these guys we talk about tread on the tires and, and our analogy is you know if you cut if you cut mm-hmm. their leg open how many rings have they got like a tree um and Jose Sarr here is uh the inverse Rafael Varane in terms of the amount of games he's been exposed to relative to his age. Because I'd imagine that these two are basically the same age. Varane is, is roughly 28, 29, uh, as is Saar. Um, and uh, there's a very different level of tread on these tyres. So Jose Saar, low-key, could end up being one of those players that plays till he's 40, just because mm. he's barely got started and he's 29. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of years in him, yeah. for sure. Um, and certainly worthy of a mention, I think. Yes. Not just because of that, but yes, certainly from a shot-stopping perspective. Um, yep, certainly worthy of a mention. Um, I'm going to go, well, I'm going to stay in the Premier League, but go back to someone who is far more of a, I guess, a youth prospect, but shown his his ability now for, certainly for a couple of seasons. And that's Michael Olise at uh, Crystal Palace. And it's it kind of started, I almost reverse engineered this to find some some numbers just based on how good he is because I just love to watch him mm, yeah. first and foremost I just think he's just great to watch he's he's actually only started 10 games uh, in the league for Palace this season um, and I think he's injured I think he's got a foot injury at the moment um, so he's, he's out at the moment but also I think it's just underappreciated how much how good business um, Crystal Palace have, have done over the summer mm. uh, as well doing really well this season so just kind of a wider point um, but he was one of the most creative players in the championship last summer with with Reading of course and he, I think he got 12 assists which at the age of 18-19 in the championship is fantastic only second only to Emi Buendia last season in terms of his creativity um, but yeah, before I kind of get into any of the numbers that kind of back it up, it's just the way that he he runs with the ball, the way that he rolls the ball under his foot and sort of has a kind of a street football kind of vibe to him. He's so direct in his, his running. He's he's filling out a lot as well. If you kind of look yeah. at him 
when he was playing for for Reading, just coming into the side to to now, he looks far more of a a man. He fast, you know, he's far stronger and still only twenty, which is ludicrous. Um, so if you, if I had to back some some numbers up with it, um, he's he's averaging nine point eight progressive carries per 90. Now that is essentially carries that move the ball towards the opponent's goal by at least five yards or indeed an, a carry into the penalty area. Now those 9.8 progressive carries per 90 puts him in the top 2% of attacking midfielders and wingers in the Premier League this season. Now I mentioned that he has only started 10 games. He's got just over 900 minutes. So a healthy sample size, but not massive um but it just shows just how direct he is running forward with the ball and i think he he attracts players to him kind of like a, a magnet and that obviously then opens up space for for others to exploit as well which is a, a huge skill i know that zaha does that on the the other side as well so together they've got that that option um five assists already um this season um and his num his underlying numbers are a little bit more modest his expected assists so in terms of his creativity, are about 2.9. So he's maybe being a little bit fortunate in his assist return. So expected assist being the the expected goals value of the shot that is assisted. So just kind of working back from there as a as a proxy of creativity. But he's just so skillful, so fast, so strong, um, and I just really enjoy watching him. <laughs> Is that is that potentially because of the fact that maybe some of these expected assists and, and assists obviously come from set pieces? Now, yeah. I think 10 of the 12, if I'm not mistaken, for Reading in the championship was set piece assists yeah. um, because his delivery is just absolutely wicked. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I don't use that in the term of, of it being cool. It's, it's, it's just <laughs> incredibly hard to stop. Yeah. Um, and when, when he puts that kind of pace and, and kind of curl on it, you know, it always it favors the attacking side because the defenders are like, I have no idea what to do with that ball. Like, you look at it and you go, well, this is going to be dangerous every single time. Even if they don't result in goals, you know, you're, you're creating chaos in the opposition box on a regular basis. And I suppose that might have something to do with it because they're not from necessarily great positions, but they are because of his because of his ability to deliver from from these kind of areas. Yeah, and that's something I was going to say as well. It's something similar to a player I'll come on to later in terms of it's an important caveat with the with the set pieces, I think. And whether he does it from set pieces or in open play as well, it's when he does open his body up and he kind of puts it to the back post, doesn't he? And it's just, even if it, it either his own teammate gets something on it or it could nick off a, a defender and create chaos either way, he's, it is the pace that he puts on it as well and just kind of whips it as well. And it's a shame really, because I think that France, well, France under 21s have called him up, haven't they? I think. Yes. So there was sort of talk of him maybe getting, being part of the England setup. I don't know whether that, I don't know what the latest necessarily is on that, but I know that there's, controversy if you want to call it that between England and, and France tapping it on, mm -hmm. which obviously I'd like to see England yeah. get him well I, he did he just he went with the latest camp in uh, in March with France and I think yeah. I think that was his first call up for the under 21 so that was a big mm -hmm. that was a big step um, but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean curtains for England you never you never yeah. really know um, yeah. and we'll have to see ultimately that's up to him uh, I would I would welcome him with open arms for England because I too <laughs> I too enjoy watching him play he is fantastic um, those uh, those corners in particular of all the set pieces his corners are just ridiculous um, mm -hmm. and he's such a smooth player every now and then you get to watch a player and you just and you just they almost feel like they're on a different level aesthetically to everybody else and it is, I don't say that lightly because very often when you say that you're talking about players like David Silva who just who just create a completely different impression on the game for you but watching Michael Lelise play for Reading in the championship I was like 
this guy does not belong here. Like his yeah. his contact with the ball is too good. His delivery is too smooth. He has way too much time on the ball, even though he's being crowded by three. Mm-hmm. Just a different different class of player. Uh, an absolutely wonderful player. And eight million in the summer. I mean, everyone knew it, right? Everyone knew that Palace were pulling off a heist. Um, <laughs> every, everyone knew that every other club was making a huge mistake. But for those of you that are thinking, oh, why, why couldn't we have done that? Remember that Palace have worked very hard to create almost like a, like a separate suburb, an extra suburb of London almost. And they've taken players like Gehi and they've taken players like Michael Elise and Ibiri Eze and they've created like a little mini culture uh, where all of these players can go and coexist. And it's a really exciting place to go and play. And it's a really exciting prospect to go and play for Crystal Palace if you are age 19 to 21 from England and you're really good at football because there's loads more like you over at Palace. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting one. And also part of this is, you know, that one, as you say, that there's not that many starts there. But I wonder if part of that is because of the way that Vieira likes to set this team up and, and what kind of uh, Jordan Ayew offers on, in terms of getting back, in terms of work rate that perhaps Elise doesn't. And look, I know there's a lot of people who will be like, oh, if I'm watching Palace, I want to watch their most fun team who aren't Palace fans. But we've seen a lot of Palace fans, you know, especially on social, talking about the the fact that there is just a slightly different dynamic down that right-hand side when there's not a natural kind of, I, I want to say, an, a kind of Aaron Wambasaka type defender at right-back. Now, on the left, you kind of can do that because Tyreek Mitchell is so good at one-on-one. He is so good, you know, at just being a stopper in so many ways. Whereas right-back, Palace don't have that same kind of dynamic. They need their right-winger to track a little bit more, to to put in the hard yards. And Elise doesn't quite do that as much uh, as Jordan Ayew. So, Interesting now if see if Palace going forward look at being like, right, what we need here is a really, really solid one-on-one defender to play at right back that doesn't necessarily need that attacking prowess in that we can then unleash Elise to full potential and he doesn't have to worry about tracking back in the same way that Wilfred Zaha doesn't on the other side. So just buy Wan-Bissaka back, is it? Why buy Wan-Bissaka <laughs> yeah. back, yeah. Basically. They're probably getting back for 25 yeah. mil. <laughs> it's true it'd be a good I mean it wouldn't be the first time that Palace have bought back a no. signing that they've sent to Manchester United so um, no. yeah I, I agree I think I mean he's too good to not have him play regularly in the future I think that yeah. you're right at the moment and Io is far more workmanlike and it's you're right it's the balance of the team but um, I think yeah probably maybe more towards next season yeah. obviously given the, the transfer window I, I can't wait to see him just playing on more of a regular basis mm-hmm. so you're, you're right Sam as well and obviously I'm speaking a bit more about the, the data here but there's some things that data kind of can't quantify and it's just how aesthetically pleasing Michael <laughs> Lees is yeah. on the Couldn't ball yeah. There's not a sort of an aesthetic, aesthetically pleasing per ninety, but I wish there was. <laughs> well, it's a subjective um, call, Mark. So you know, can't, you can't you can't put that in the data. It's true. It's true. Unquantifiable, which I do like as well. Yeah. And shall I, yeah, shall I move on to to number two? Absolutely. From here, awesome. So number two is a centre forward in the Bundesliga. Now, I wanted to to give a, a shout out to um, Patrick Schick as a centre forward in the Bundesliga, going very well with 20 goals for Bayer Leverkusen this season. Second only to Robert Lewandowski, but he's not necessarily an underappreciated, under-the-radar striker this season. He's sort of, I guess, more more widely known. So another centre forward from the Bundesliga I wanted to speak about is Taiwo Iwanyi. Now, 12 league goals he's scored for Union Berlin, 
this season. The sixth highest goal scorer in the Bundesliga, which is fine. It's okay. But he's played a lot fewer minutes. Um, so it's worth kind of breaking it down a little bit. So his non-penalty expected goals, so the quality of chances he's getting on a per 90 basis, is 0.56 per 90. So that's essentially showing that he's getting chances worthy of a goal every other game, or, or just over, I suppose. Um, now that's only behind Erling Haaland, Patrick Schick, and Robert Lewandowski in that regards this season in the Bundesliga. So he's getting really high quality chances at a rate, as I say, of of one one in two, basically, and scoring at a rate of, of one in two as well. So just kind of worthy, certainly worthy of a shout out. And Union Berlin themselves as well, having a, a dream couple of years. I think they only got promoted to the Bundesliga 2019-20, mm-hmm. I think, finished seventh last season. They're currently seventh as well. So again, he's a, he's a really neat representation of how well they're doing. Um, I think as much as anything, I've dug into it a little bit more, the the quality of his shots are, are really good. So his expected goals per shot, which is the, the average quality of a, a given shot that he takes, is 0.2 XG per shot. So essentially, he's getting chances that are likely to score one every five shots that he takes. Now, that's the second highest rate um, in the Bundesliga behind Marco Royce. So it shows that he's getting into good quality areas and if you look at his his shot map this season I think all but maybe two or three of his shots are in the penalty area Mm. so very much a kind of fox in the box really good player really strong player only um, 24 so plenty of time on his side maybe a move to uh, another league or another team could be on the cards fairly soon um but he's a threat all over as well he's, he's very fast i think he's, he's very fast people don't give him enough yeah they don't, i feel like people don't give him enough credit for how fast that he, he is he really drives and carries the ball really really well certainly very strong as well um but yeah certainly very fast i think he can sometimes be a little bit scruffy in his, his actions sometimes you really talk about olise and how his technique is fantastic i think that I'd probably say Awanyi is a little bit more effective than maybe aesthetically pleasing, but you know all of his all of his shots and all of his goals count, no matter how well, mm. um, you know whether they go in um, or not. So, yeah, he's certainly one I think for me who's in the numbers certainly have maybe gone under the radar a little bit, and he sort of needs a bit of appreciation. Yeah, I like him a lot. Um, he's very fast, a huge threat over the top. Um, in like the context of how Bundesliga football kind of plays out. Uh, with it being relatively chaotic quite a lot of the time, a lot of it transition-based, a lot of high lines, a lot of pressing. Um, he's the kind of the perfect striker for that league. Um, mm. And I'm trying to think of a comparison for him um, without trying to big him up too much because he is obviously a level mm-hmm. below some of the absolute elite players. But I saw recently that Dortmund had been kind of put off by the potential price for Karim Adeyemi at Salzburg and we're looking at Awonyi as a kind of backup plan. And I thought, Okay, yeah, in terms of a model of striker, in terms of the way they operate, in terms of the raw speed and the finishing ability and the poaching ability, not far off. Genuinely, not yeah. not far off. That's that's okay. So, okay, he's not. I don't think he's going to become as good as Adiemi. But in terms of a player profile, in terms of that speed and directness uh, and finishing ability, I'd say that that's that's a pretty good match. Um, I'd also say RB Leipzig version of Timo Werner is. Um, it's not far off this player. So what that means in terms of projecting to other leagues, I don't know. I think I feel like I've learned a lot from Timo Werner in the Premier League that I should have known beforehand. But I want you, at least for now, who is definitely flying under the radar, despite being a former Liverpool player. Um, <laughs> I, know, I know the Liverpool fans really like him. I know they're like keeping an eye, keeping an eye on him. 
that, he yeah, that's he me basically. Because he couldn't get a he couldn't get a work permit, could he? Um, and it basically meant that he had to be sold. Before yeah. no, he finally got one last summer just before he was sold, oh, if I'm not he? mistaken. And I only know that because Fulham were linked with him then and they're linked with him now. Um oh, and there's a couple there's a couple of links here. There was, you know, obviously there was a couple the other week from Newcastle and West Ham. You can yeah. see why those things make sense, I think, in in, in many ways. Mm. But then Fulham and Southampton as well. But I mean, I was looking at something from friend of the pod, Jasmine, the other week, and she was saying that, you know, exactly that, the whole if Adiemi's too expensive our knee is the guy that the Dortmund should be looking at. And one of the things she brought up was a, a kind of big chances and an XG per shot kind of XY graph um, where he's almost identical to Erling Haaland um, in the similar league. Right now, obviously there is, there are differences and obviously Erling Haaland is not having the season that many have expected of him in, in, in some ways, but, you know, when you're when you're looking at that kind of map and the cross of exactly where they meet, it's very close. Um, and I do think that's an intriguing prospect if if they're going to go down that method. Um, I think it'd be it'd be interesting to see if if he gets into the if he, if he does come back to the Premier League as to what happens then. Um, I know you you mean Sam about the Werner link, but also I think there's an element of. I think Timo Werner might actually be very, very good in a side that play to his strengths as opposed to one that love holding onto the ball for various periods <laughs> and refusing to acknowledge that players over the top sometimes works. Um, so we, we shall see. But um, you're definitely one that, again, there's going to be the links are already flying around, Mark. And I think there's going to be a lot of top tier interest in him, especially if Union miss out on those European places, mm. um, which is still very much in question as we kind of head towards this final straight. Yeah. Yeah, true. I, I do think that the Dortmund links actually are really interesting because there's always that Bundesliga tax, isn't there? Everything that you said about Timo Werner as well, I know that you have to account for the the playing style, but I think sort of statistically speaking, there's there's a higher volume of shots and certainly goals uh, per game in the Bundesliga compared to the other top five European leagues. So it's almost like yeah, the availability of, of shots and, and opportunities is just a little bit more mm. In the Bundesliga, so it'd be interesting to see whether he goes to a higher level team like Dortmund um, within the Bundesliga, and then see how he gets on. And then if he does well there, then maybe move on to potentially the Premier League. I, I don't know how well he'd do if he were to move to the Premier League right now. Yeah, but that remains to be seen. On the note of the loans as well, just very quickly as well, he had seven loans. So he, he was bought by by Liverpool, and then seven loans he played in Belgium. I think he was in the Netherlands as well. He went to Mainz for a bit, and then he went to Union Berlin. So. He's been all over. He's sort he of earned his stripes. Time at Mines, if I'm not mistaken, a really tough, tough gig. Um, yeah, he got. He got. Con- I remember him getting concussed. Uh, there was. There was all sorts. It was. He scored once, I think, on in a year. It wasn't great vibes. Um, but then he yeah. went to Union. And it just feels like he hasn't looked back. Mm. Maybe he's just really enjoying his time at Union, and we should stop wishing him away to other clubs. He might just be having <laughs> yeah. a crack in time, even if they miss yeah. out on Europe. Yeah, absolutely not wrong. Loves playing. Absolutely loves playing wrong. in the forest. Yeah, yes. who doesn't? Who wouldn't? Yeah. Who wouldn't? Um, on that bombshell, I think we should probably move this on to number one, mate. To number one, yes. So my number one is uh, Benjamin Borago, 28 years old. Now, he's not necessarily yet a young up-and-coming player that people maybe haven't heard of. It's not necessarily that he's that, but I think he's just having the season of his career at, at Rennes uh, in the French League, of course. And Largely plays on on the right as a as a winger in a four four two or a four three three, but can also play on the left. He can also play centrally. Um, now, Rennes are currently sitting third in in the French league, and Borrego has has notched eleven assists so far 
uh, this season. One more than Lionel Messi and second only to Kylian Mbappe with 14. Um, and 11 assists is already better than his his career high. So it's it's the most he's had across his career. And now that all sounds a little bit clickbaity, maybe. is just sort of saying that he's got more assists than, than Lionel Messi. But his underlying numbers are also very strong um, as well. So his expected assists, as you mentioned before, the measuring the expected goals, value of a shot that's assisted. His expected assist is 11.3. So he's exactly, his return is exactly kind of where you'd expect it to be. Um, strong caveat again, that he's a set piece taker, but that feeds into just how strong his, his deliveries are. Um, but on a per 90 basis, that expected assists um, is 0.4 expected assists per 90. Now that's the joint highest across the top five European leagues right now, alongside um, Sam's friend, Thomas Muller, um, <laughs> currently at the moment. So he's currently yeah, essentially creating chances worthy of four assists every 10 games, which is, which is real quality. Mm. Um, and as I say, those numbers can be ever slightly inflated by the fact that he is on corners and free kicks. But if you were to you know, watch his, his delivery, his technique on the ball, with that, um, with those set pieces, it's it's fantastic. Um, so he's not necessarily someone who's who's a winger who's going to run and beat his man. Um, he's more of a dare I say it more of a David Beckham kind of. He's going to stay in his position and kind of deliver it in. Um, maybe a bit more kind of James Ward Prowse than than David Beckham, but. <laughs> He actually, he actually reminds me of quite a bit of, even though James Madison doesn't play as wide, he plays more centrally, but he does remind me quite a bit of, of James Madison in that kind of... That's just the hairstyle. <laughs> well, I was going to say as well, he, he also seems a little bit of a kind of, he looks a bit of a combination between me and you, Sam, I thought. When did you see him? He actually looks somewhere in between the two of us, maybe not as tall as us. Um, but he's kind of got that sort of James Madison vibe about him. Um and yeah, his, his numbers clearly so far this season are fantastic. I, I quite yeah. like him. I do quite like him. Every time, every time I watch watch him, I'm never I'm never watching him. I'm almost always watching someone else on his team because he plays with much more interesting and exotic names. And mm. every time I try to watch somebody else, my eyes are always drawn back to him. And he's always the one that ends up providing the goal when I expected this to be someone else. And I probably need to stop disrespecting him so much with my eyes. Mm. But having having seen a bit of him this season, this is a case of from the data, you can work backwards. Like his expected assist number is incredible. Um, and for it to be tallying up pretty much exactly in line with the assist is pretty rare. Because um, it's usually, the XA is usually quite a lot lower, isn't it, ultimately? Yeah. Um, and having watched him and, and seen him play, it does, it does make sense. So yes, he's on set pieces, but if you've, if you've, if you've compared the data with the film and you're pretty comfortable with, yes, no, he is that creative. It's okay. It reminds me of, um, Roman Fav last season. Mm. So he signed for Leon in January, uh, from mm. Brest. And last season he was one of the top creative players. His numbers were incredible. Um, but if you put together, you know, a waffle chart and basically determined, in which scenario these 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 chances were being created, Roman Fav was almost discredited by some because a large chunk of them were from set pieces. But when you watch him play, you don't think of him as a player that can only create chances from set pieces, do you? And this is probably the case with Borujo as, as well. So he is a very interesting player. I would never, ever pick him out in my mind as like, oh, who could be like a, like a very creative player that could move to a top team? I'd never pick him out as that. Never. And how old is he? He's 
28. 28. He's 28. I'm not sure he is that player, I'll be honest. I actually think, you know, it depends, I suppose, what kind of team you're playing in, but he feels more like a deep line creator. And, and, and I know that sounds ridiculous for someone who plays on the wing, but he, he feels like, I, I quite like that, that Madison Beckham comparison in that obviously he's played everywhere. You look at actually his kind of his maps for where he started games. I think he started seven different positions for Ren over the last three years he's been there. He's, he's had about 10 games at defensive midfield and you're going, hang on, what's going on here? Like, well, this is, this is someone who's played mostly, you know, on the wing this year. And then suddenly you're going, okay, what he does is he, he's an unbelievable sprayer of the ball, right? So therefore, he can play in these positions. And I do wonder if what actually might be quite interesting is if you played him almost, he's, he's almost defensively minded winger, not in necessarily in terms of his output, but just mm. in the fact that he's not trying to skin a fullback. He is going to sit a little bit deeper to, you know, you might have him in a in a kind of 4-1-4-1 as opposed to or one of those, or a 4-4-2, just sort of sitting in, tucking in a little bit deeper and, and being able to create from wherever he is in the pitch. And I think it's quite an interesting weapon. And obviously we've seen it with Trent, right? That, that mm-hmm. delivery from deep that can cause so many problems. I do think there's an element of that about his game that I, I'd be intrigued to see how it works somewhere else. Not necessarily that he should leave. I don't think he should go anywhere because Ren are going to be in a Champions League spot. I don't think there's going to be another Champions League level club coming in for him. But I do think it would be interesting to see how he was utilised in a different system just as a kind of neutral point. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I agree. And it's funny when someone does well, you do often just think of where they could go and who could buy them and stuff. As we said with a few players now, maybe he's just happy there. And as you say, Ren are doing so, so well at the moment. So I think if if they can secure a Champions League spot, then he should absolutely stay. Um, I think there's rumours, from what I've read, um, rumours linking in with Lazio and and Roma. So maybe a move to Serie A, which is is a league that I think also would kind of suit him as well. I don't know. Dean would probably know more on, on that one in terms of the, the transfer side of things, but... Um, He's not here, mate. Yeah. yeah unfortunately, <laughs> we can't ask him. We'll, we'll check with him when he comes back. <laughs> True. But no, I, I think he's certainly worth... Um, well, yeah, as I say, it's not... He's 28 now. It's not like he's, he's 19, 20, 21, and we could maybe suggest that you go to a bigger team and, and prosper. He is, you know, he's pretty much at his peak now in terms of his, his age as well. So, yeah, he's certainly having a fantastic season for, for Ren and hopefully they now have a push to, to keep those Champions League spots. Just as yeah, an aside to, to round it off, Mark, I mean, how how often is it in your experience, because you will be looking at these numbers much more often than I than I am, how often is it that the XA, expected assist tally, matches up pretty much level with the assist tally? Because in my experience, it's very rare. Yeah, no, you're spot on when you said it before. I think you're absolutely right. And it's it's one of those as well where we, we talk about expected goals and across a, a longer time period, often the expected goals and goals will pretty much align because it's it's the player who's having those those shots and those chances over five, six, seven seasons. Yeah. Sometimes there'll be overperformance and underperformance within a season, but it's always that player. Whereas expected assists, there's, there's often a, a more of a gap either way because there's obviously another part of the the action to go. You make the pass and then there's the shot from someone else. Um, and you can't necessarily, there's the volatility of all the other players who you're passing to, not just the volatility within that certain player. So yeah, you're right. It's, it's less likely to be sort of as closely aligned. But um, yeah, the fact that this is so closely aligned is... Mm. It just shows just how quality his, his deliveries and his passes have been. Yeah, I just looked at Thomas Muller there while you were talking and his XA for the Bundesliga was 9.8 and he has 16 assists. Yeah. 
And that go. doesn't mean anything ultimately in terms of I'm not, that doesn't mean that Thomas Muller is doing badly or, or, or someone else is doing well or making him better or whatever. It's just very, very rare that I see the two numbers align, especially at this, like when they get into double figures, you get 10 plus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree. Um, right, Mark, I'm sure there's a couple of honourable mentions here. I'd, uh, I'd love to hear them. Yes, true to Sam Tai form, I wanted to give some hey, honourable mentions. Hey, just one second. Just, <laughs> do, you do you remember that time Jack tried to like do like 15 honourable mentions? Like he, he, I do a couple of honourable mentions, but Jack, Jack, Jack usually tries to double the length of the entire list okay. with his because he just doesn't. He feels too bad about leaving anybody out. He's too nice. I'm just an inclusive human being. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> but go on, Mark. Sorry, yeah, I shouldn't have dug you up. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay, honourable mentions. We've got um, Mohamed Bayo at Claremont Foot mm. scoring well within a struggling league league on side. Um, so I think that he's worthy of a mention from a, an attacking perspective. Um, Luis Alberto, another former Liverpool player, currently obviously at Lazio. This one um, shocked me. Shocked I think he's, me. Uh, I think he's been underrated. Isn't he for always years. like his numbers are always pretty strong? No, but like yeah. I, I, for the last couple of years, I would have been absolutely with you on all of it. This year, I've just every time I've watched Lazio has been dreadful. Um, <laughs> it's like so. I'm, maybe I'm just watching the wrong games. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's a bit of I think a data darling because his his numbers do always look strong, um, and they have been for for a number of years. So maybe he's kind of his sort of yeah the aesthetically pleasing side of him has maybe gone down a little bit, and he's he sort of is quite higher risk, higher reward. So you maybe sometimes remember all the times that he gives the ball away but he's he's showing some good numbers this this season as he has done for, mm. for quite a few seasons um, but on the high risk staying, high reward thing that's basically what Bruno Fernandes is as a footballer yeah. so it's it's it can look really bad like it can work like the pass completion can sometimes be absolutely dreadful but it's it's about creating a high quality chance and he'll try 10 times and if one comes off you might win 1-0 yeah, the ten percent. The ten percent is massive, there, yeah. isn't it? That's the yeah. that's the kind of the differentials, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the on the without giving everybody a data lesson. That's why it's so good to look at the expected assists in terms of that, um, or looking at kind of more complex metrics rather than obviously pass completion. Because if you were to look at Fernandez and Trent Alexander Arnold, their pass completions probably rather low, but the the quality areas that they put the ball into is is so so high. Mm. Um, staying in Serie A. Um, I've got Giovanni Simeone. Boo! From yes. Corona. Big fan. Boo! Big fan of this. <laughs> no. He, in, in the numbers, at least, and I will say very much in the numbers because I don't think this is sustainable for all the reasons I said about expected goals in small sample sizes, but he's outperforming his expected goals more than any other player in the top five European leagues. So I do think that is very much unsustainable, but it'd be interesting to see over over a longer period. But he's worthy of a mention from a data perspective, Sam, if that helps. Data only. Do you want me to let you in on a little secret, Mark? God. Gio Simeone is rubbish. No, this is not true, Jimmy. Gio Simeone is excellent. The only reason this is unsustainable is that Atleti have started doing well and the agreement is that only one Simeone can be doing well at any given time. <laughs> oh, yes. uh, so that's the only reason he might fall off here. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm only going to speak from a data perspective. I'm going to hide <laughs> behind the numbers. Well, I'm going to speak from a opinion. personal and vindictive perspective. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big Gio Simeone fanboy. Sam is very much not. <laughs> Mark, you know I have a type with strikers, right? You, you know I, I don't like certain types of strikers and Gio... He doesn't like... Sam doesn't like strikers who score goals. Yeah, no, that's... that's to me, that to me that defeats the point of a striker. You know, uh, you know, someone like Chiro Immobile who consistently hits 20, 25 goals a year. Get rid. Absolutely get rid. Give me a target Boring. man. Get me a target man who can score six goals a year. 
you know, per- <laughs> absolutely perfect. If I come on again, I'm just gonna. That could be my remit for the for my top five. Mm. Just those sort of <laughs> strikers who don't score. Javier <laughs> yeah. Hernandez, Chiro Immobile, Gio Simeone, and I'm just there, just drowning myself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Um, my my final honourable mention is again probably not one that's necessarily under the radar, but Denzel Dumfries I think has done really well for for Inter Milan this season. Um, so I think I'm just going to give him a final mention as well. It actually hasn't been anything in the data that I've necessarily seen, but I just think he's worthy of a mention. Done really well um, when he's come in. He's he's really strong in the air as well. Big so. boots to fill, wasn't it? Step into yeah. Akraf Hakimi's boots. You're like, mm. okay, big big pressure. Yeah. Um, he's done yeah. okay. He does act like a. He was in Sam's list, obviously, once upon a time of players that don't play in their position, um, which I obviously enjoyed. <laughs> yeah. um, he's a number nine playing wide, but apart yeah. from, uh, you know, as a, as a wing back. But he is often that, the furthest man forward, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah he's getting yeah. on the end of crosses. It's unbelievable. But I just, yeah, I think he's just worthy of a mention. As you say, uh, to fill Hakimi's uh, boots is no mean feat. But um, yeah, there, there are a few actually from Serie A there. So mm. uh, yeah, a few honourable mentions. Absolutely. Well, Mark, thank you so much. That was, uh, was wonderful. I very much enjoyed myself. Um, there are there are so many things that you can kind of dig into, but I thought that was a, a beautifully compiled list in that we did a goalkeeper, a defender, two midfielders and a striker. The yeah. uh, honourable mentions meant that we filled out the top five leagues. It, look, you know what? That's what Ranks is about. You've, uh, you've come in and nailed the brief. So, uh, <laughs> thank well, thank you very, very much. Um, I suppose the final question question is where can our listeners find you if they uh, if, if they want to find out more and, and hear more from you I guess so many places I suppose you can catch me on uh, Twitter um, my handle is Mark Harry 93 um, obviously through the athletic um, if I'm able to I guess shout out the athletic yep. um, or yeah the, the podcast that I do with with my good friend Ryan Bailey uh, the football analytics podcast which you can find on on any streaming platform um not trying to rival you guys don't worry about that your jobs are safe but um everyone loves a podcast so uh, if you like like this sort of thing then uh, then find us some football fanalytics podcast absolutely it's a it's a brilliant listen and one that i could highly recommend uh, mark <laughs> thank, thank you. you so much it's been a real pleasure having you on thank you my pleasure to be on Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast. And thank you again to Mr. Mark Carey for a wonderful main ranking. It's so, so lovely to have him on the podcast. Um, fortunately, with no Dean Jones around, we're not going to have a Mel of the Week, ladies and gentlemen. The Mel of the Week has, has gone on holiday. In fact, the Mel of the Week might be Dean Jones for not providing a Mel of the Week. But alas, here we are, <laughs> um, which means we're going straight on. And it's the gibberish alarm, Sam. It's the Jewish alarm. Okay, uh, I'm up. And do I've noticed this week, Jack? Everyone's talking about Kylian Mbappe, aren't they? Everyone's talking about Kylian Mbappe. Contract up at the end of the season. He's just got to like almost 60 goals and assists for the campaign. Everybody's starting to realise just how good he is. He might be the best player in the world. We don't know 100% where he's going to be next season. Everyone's chucking about all these destinations for him next season. Could it be Real Madrid? Could he stay at PSG? Could he go to Barcelona? Could he move to the Premier League? But I've noticed all of these destinations are very, very desirable from a football level, from a football perspective, which is fair enough. But I want to take a different slant. I want to take on the role of Kylian Mbappe's agent, agent. agent and representative. And I want to take a look at what moves would suit Mbappe on a personal level. So here is my alternative list, the top three moves Mbappe can make on a free transfer this summer. At number three, New York City FC. 
Now, this is for family reasons. Let me make it clear. It would let him move closer to his four beloved brothers, Leonardo, Raphael, Donatello, and Michelangelo, who all live in the sewers in New York City. Jack's got his head in his hands. This is a bad start for the travel agent. No, I just really didn't think you were going to go down. (laughs) Right. So for a couple of years, if you didn't know, there was a running joke that Mbappe looked like a Ninja Turtle. Patrice Evra started it. Thiago Silva gave him a Ninja Turtle mask for Christmas in 2017. And then there was one time when a pitch invader dressed as a Ninja Turtle invaded and hugged him. Now, we all know by now, if we didn't already, the pandemic habit at home, family is a huge consideration for footballers when moving. And Mbappe, while a superstar, is no different. So New York City FC should be on the radar. (laughs) You're such a clown. Okay, on to number two, Swindon Town. Oh, God. Swindon, I admit, doesn't have much. In fact, it has very, very little. Um, but it is home to the MacArthur Glen Designer Outlet Complex with over 90 shots, almost shops, sorry, almost all of high-end designer brands and often for discounts. Now, Mbappe, one of his dearest loves is trainers or sneakers. And at the Swindon MacArthur Glen Designer Outlet Complex, there is a New Balance, a Nike, a Puma and a Skechers all in one place. Then there's a Timberland if you want some boots, and there's even a Clark's, Jack, if you get sent back to school, just in case. Now imagine, Killian, all of that on your doorstep, and often for discounted prices. That's the dream right there. I thought you could have sent him to their great rivals, Oxford United, uh, so that he could go to Bista Village for <laughs> a similar outlet designer sale. Um, maybe with more options. I don't maybe. know. Maybe I mean, more. there isn't an awful lot in Swindon, but I think if Killian Mbappe moved to Swindon... At least Oxford's nice. Yeah. <laughs> but if Killian Mbappe moved to Swindon, there would be something in Swindon. They'd be Killian yeah. Mbappe. Anyway, number one. The number one place for Killian Mbappe this summer is FC Sure 97, who play in the Swiss fifth tier. Mbappe is very impressive as a, as a person for a number of reasons. But one of the things I find most impressive is his ability to speak three languages fluently. He speaks French, obviously, but his English is incredible and his Spanish is excellent too. So Mbappe is 23. He might be the best player in the world and he is trilingual. We're all jealous of Kylian Mbappe. Now, it strikes me that you don't accidentally learn three languages to a fluent level. You're either an enthusiast in the area or you're not. So my bet is that Mbappe is a language enthusiast. So why not move to a country with four official languages? Switzerland. Now, FC Schur 97 is based in Grissons or Graubunden, depending on which language you, you prefer. And it is Switzerland's only official trilingual county or state. At last survey, 64% of the residents spoke German, 13 Romanche and 11 Italian. Switzerland's fourth and final language is French, which he's already perfected, but Graubunden is an area that barely uses it. So Kylian Mbappe can keep sharp on the pitch in the Swiss fifth tier while learning German, Romance and Italian to make it six fluent languages. There you have it. Um, very good-ish, yeah. um, I would ish. say. Okay, so in all, in all seriousness, if he wanted a more competitive level of football, FC Lugano, in the Swiss uh, Super League, is the southernmost Italian, uh, southernmost city, and speaks Italian. It's right on the border with Italy, and it's pretty close to like Udine and Bergamo and Milan. It's really not that far. So he wants to re- remain a bit more competitive, uh, but continue to learn new languages. Uh, then, then I'd go with Lugano. But I, I worry that that's much too far from the German districts of Zurich and Bern. 
and he wouldn't okay. really be able to sharpen up on that area. Yeah, also German doesn't obviously follow the same language patterns as like a Spanish or a French because no. it's not a romantic language. Um, so therefore, that might be a little bit tricky as opposed mm. to the other ones where he might be able to, you know, you'd imagine he might be able to pick up Italian relatively quickly. Um, yes. that's, that's where I'm at on the, on, on the whole situation. But, but you know, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe he really wants to test himself and, and, and pick up German. Um, I, for yeah. one, would, uh, would probably prefer to speak the romantics. But uh, that's yeah. up to Killian. That's up to Killian. Thank you, Sam. Very, very good. Okay. Um, ish. And uh, on that, we're going to give this, we're going to call this podcast today, I think. Uh, all there's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Sam Ty. Cheers, mate. Thank you again to Mr. Mark Carey. Make sure you go out and check him out on Twitter and beyond. He really is a wonderful person to keep an eye on. There's some wonderful graphics uh, and wonderful articles as well. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever, Rank Squad. We do really, really appreciate you. And we will see you next week. Take it easy. Peace. Do you want me to let you in on a little secret, Mark? God. Gio Simeone is rubbish.